Hey guys, welcome to episode 33 of The True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. And at the start of today's show, we just want to first thank our listeners. In the last two weeks, we've had the most downloads we've had since the show began. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, seeing the numbers like that spike up, nothing. there's no better feeling than that. It's really exciting. And we just want to thank everyone who has known us and like stuck around since the beginning and welcome all the new listeners who are tuning in to us. And for the people who have been spreading the word about us, thank you very much. Yeah, that's really one of the best ways that we kind of get out there on a true crime platform because as you guys know, as true crime listeners, a true crime podcast is a dime a dozen. So by telling a friend, you are helping us out tremendously. Yes, you are. Thank and you. we can't thank you enough. And again, like always, we're working to bring you the content that you know and love from us. And we're trying to up the production value a little bit each episode. So if you want to help us out, you could give us a five-star review on iTunes, which is super helpful. Or if you want, you could donate on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash truecrimecouple. If you become a donator, you will have access to five available Patreon episodes. They cover the Winchester House, Dick Henson, and a crazy case called Surprise Arizona. And the other episodes that we have are going to be up on Monday. We kind of did a poll and asked our Patreon supporters if they would like to hear us cover some of those cases that are on Investigation Discovery and kind of go through a series, a true crime series, through our eyes. So what we chose to do with starting of school, I felt it a little bit appropriate and a little morbid, I guess, to cover the new Investigation Discovery series on Pamela Smart. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, we're going to start that on Monday, and basically we're going to watch an episode and then record our feelings and our thought process and kind of do that the whole way through. So by the end of the week, there's going to be an, a Patreon episode for every episode of the series. It's going to be a lot of work, but we're excited to do it, and it's going to be a little bit more off the cuff. Yeah, it'll be, you know, more conversational. A little more relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. So we also want to thank our episode sponsors, Beta Brand, Songfinch, and FabFitFun. And if you want to help us out too, you can use our promo code because that's what helps us keep our sponsors and keeps our sponsors happy, which is always good. So without any further ado, let's get into this week's episode. If I were to ask you to tell me the craziest cult you've ever heard of, you'd probably name the Manson family, Alm Shinrikyo, Children of God, or maybe Heaven's Gate. But there's always a cult that is kept out of the conversation surrounding the damaging effects and the dangers that these deadly cults pose. That would be the Anhill Kids. However, the members of this cult would not do harm onto others. Harm would be done onto them at the hands of their charismatic leader. Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. When looking back into a killer's past, it's always clear how their desire developed and what stressors led them to commit atrocities against humanity. Things are no different when it comes to eventual cult leader, Roque Terrio. Okay, so this case is from Canada and the cult leader is going to speak French and everything all these names are super French 
And I know I always get some slack for the way I pronounce things. Like, this is a... It keeps me up at night. It really bothers me, like, when people, like, tell me I, like, pronounce... I'm sorry. I just do. And I can't help that I'm from New Jersey, and I apologize about all of these things. It's not that we're not sensitive. It's not like we're uh, not sensitive or anything. We just have a hard time. No, it's not being sensitive. It's just, (laughs) I... Some of these things I'm going to not pronounce. So, I've heard his name pronounced several different ways. But most commonly... When people are talking about the case from Canada, they call him Rock. Okay. It's Rock Terrio. But then people in the United States talk about him. They call him Roque Therio. So I'm just going to call him by his last name. And then we're going to go forward from there. Wait, wait and if, I'm disappointed. We can't call him the Rock? No, we can't call him the Rock. We're going right. to call him Terrio. Okay. And if that's wrong, I apologize right now at the top of the show. If I'm offending anyone. But I'm trying really hard. So from childhood, it was clear... That Terrio had his qualms with his family and the society that he was brought up in. However, it is this paired with his personality traits that would allow him to lead himself and his followers blindly down a road of isolation, control, and eventually torture. It's going to get bad today. So it seems that Terrio had two different childhoods. The one that actually took place and the one that he told people took place to garner sympathy. Terrio's going to tell anyone who would listen that his father and mother were physically and mentally abusive to him. He stated that he was punched in the stomach by his father with all of his might, and that on more than one occasion, he was thrown down the stairs. He's going to blame this for the ulcers that he's going to develop later on in his life, and this is something that's very prevalent in relation to the cult, and obviously we'll get into it. His exact words were, when he, t- when he tells people about his childhood, was that he was beaten like a dog by his drunken father until he was about 14 years old, and the only reason it stopped was because his parents kicked him outside of the house, and he had to fend for himself. Seems like a hard life. Seems like a rough childhood. Like, if I heard that story, I would definitely feel bad for the person, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, who, would, who wouldn't feel bad for that A little that bit of a rough life. Oh, yeah. So in addition to the beatings he said he received from his parents, they forced him to share in their religious beliefs. Terrio's parents were involved in a movement that was called the White Berets. It sounds pretty intense. It does. My parents were involved in no such movements. Mine weren't either. Thank God. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, Mom and Dad. (laughs) The White Berets, or the Pilgrims of St. Michael, which is what they're more known as in the United States, were a conservative Catholic order. They would hold military-like rallies and go door-to-door asking for donations. Terrio was forced to participate in these activities, and he said that he would often be ridiculed by his peers for begging door-to-door. And this is a common practice among the White Berets, but when they would go door-to-door and say someone would say they didn't have any money or they didn't want to donate, that the members would get down on their knees and beg for money. Door-to-door. Door-to-door. So I could imagine this is something that a kid wouldn't want to do. I don't think an adult would want to do that. Yeah. But I mean, hey. Well, the adults are the ones who are joining, so if you're going to join, you're going to want to do it. Now, the White Berets um, have this mindset, kind of a socialist idea that wealth from big business and banks should be redistributed amongst all in society. They didn't associate themselves with the political socialist movements, but that's how they felt. So it's almost... Money should be distributed. So would you say that it's kind of like a Robin Hood mentality, right? 
No, because they didn't think anything should be stolen. They think that they okay. everything should be shared. Okay. So it seemed like this was the only part of his past that Terrio was truthful about. Because in reality, this did happen, and his parents did force him to do this. It's also corroborated that he did receive a lot of ridicule from his peers for participating in rallies and the door-to-door activities. And I, I have to admit, I completely see this happening. I mean, I could only imagine... There's no one more vicious than kids. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no rules. Nothing's off limits. Yeah, and they probably really made him feel bad for doing this. And it was embarrassing for him. Definitely. But this is where the similarities stop in both of the stories. Really, the only true thing that he's going to say is his participation in the White Berets. In interviews from family friends of the Terrios, the Terrios siblings, and the friends of his siblings... A different picture is painted about his early years. By all accounts, Terrio's father was not known to be a drunk. It was rare that he was ever seen drinking. Also, no one remembers the family having problems or big fights that were overheard. In an interview, Terrio's father admitted that on a few occasions, he did discipline his son, but not for anything unreasonable. His siblings are going to agree that they could count on one hand the amount of times that they had been spanked or hit by their parents. Now, I know to some people that may sound excessive, but to be a kid that's growing up in a 1950s Catholic household, especially a conservative one, that's pretty sparingly, the amount of times that they had been spanked. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just, I feel like, unfortunately, that's just kind of how it was back then. It was. it's, It's totally different than it is today. Yes, And not saying that it's right, but it just seems that when he tells stories of excessive beatings, it it actually seemed like he encountered less physical beatings from his family than than most people did, most children did in the 1950s. And it just could be probably just exaggerating all the times that it did happen. You know, like what I'm, you know what I mean? Like if it was just a spank, he could just kind of exaggerate it. Turn into something else. Yeah. Yeah. So his fathers and siblings did say that Terrio was a compulsive liar, and he had to make himself the perpetual victim. Anything that ever happened or went wrong was never his fault. Based on the accounts of everyone who was asked, it does seem like Terrio was a very cold and callous child. They described him as being unemotional and having a lack of empathy. They said also that he never really fit in well with their family. Whereas the rest of his family did not excel in school, he did. Terrio loved to read and always scored very highly on his exams, scoring either at the top of his class, and when he didn't score the highest in his class, he was always second. Okay, so he was a good student. He was a really good student. But it seemed like his blue-collar family, all of whom dropped out of school after the eighth grade, didn't understand their intellectual son and brother. So, like, he was kind of the black sheep of the family. Right. However, despite his academic prowess... He's also going to drop out of school after the 8th grade, at the dismay of his teachers, who really saw promise in him. Most likely due to a lack of encouragement by his family, Terrio is just going to start working. Which I feel was typical for the time. Yeah, it's very typical. You know what I mean? I, it's not like how, Once again, it's not like how it is today where, you know, you need to have a dip- high school diploma and, you know... Most uh, likely a college a degree. A college degree, mm-hmm. so a lot different. Right. However, at no point was he ever kicked out of his family home by his parents. Because if you go by his timeline, after the 8th grade, he's kicked out of his house. 
but in reality, he's going to live home until he gets married. In retrospect, we can look back at the childhood of Terriel, and we can see the development of a few curious things. First, his manipulation of situations and his compulsive lying. So he's going to make himself the victim all the time, and he's going to lie to do this with his siblings. And it, it just seems like he is trying to, like we said before, garner sympathy, try and make everyone feel bad for him. And it's just like the, to, to be a compulsive liar and do this is something that all kids lie, right? right they and all tell do. tall yeah. tales and things like that. But he is doing it to manipulate right. situations. I think that like what's going on too is the things that he's lied about aren't necessarily complete lies, but they're like half truths. You know, where, like, he's definitely going to, like I said before, make it a bigger deal than it was. Meaning, like, when, he, like for example, right. when he got hit, you know, when he got, you know, he never got kicked out, you know? Right. It just, he lies about things he doesn't have to lie about in right. order to make his situation a little bit better. He also was going to, at his early age, gain an aversion to Catholicism, which is going to come through later on in his life. And we can attribute that to the conservative Catholic movement that his parents are involved in. Plus, it's very important to Terrio that he receives acceptance, right? And that's why he does his compulsive lying. That's why he is so concerned about getting in trouble or so concerned about doing well in school. He needs constant acceptance. Right. And because he was ridiculed by his peers for this, for participating in this white beret movement and going to like the militaristic rallies and going door to door. That is going to make him have a hatred towards the Catholic religion. I mean, that's a, I, I could see how that could happen. Right. So that's something that's just going to start, like, stewing at a very young age. Yeah. After dropping out of school, during his mid to late teens, he's going to live with his parents and make a living mowing lawns. His greatest sense of accomplishment during this time was his sexual prowess. He believed that he was different, more special than other men in his small mining town. He lived in a town called Thetford Mines. It was known for mining. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, he took pride in the fact that he could spend most of his time at the town's dance hall and pick up any woman he wanted. He would bring home a girl every night and not always the same girl. Um, he's going to like attribute this to... He does like a lot of talk about how he's very proud about how well endowed he is. If you know what I'm saying. I know what you mean. So that's what he, that's his like sense of pride. It's his like sexual conquest that he Him does. and a lot of men. Yes, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's not just him. <laughs> a lot of men, I guess, they're that way. Um, But at the age of 20, he is going to believe that he found the one. Her name is Francine Garnier and she was 17 years old and, and he was 20. So it wasn't like crazy age difference or anything. The two are going to marry in November of 1967. At first, the two had a wonderful marriage. Terrio was going to build a house for the two half a mile away from his childhood home, where his parents were still living. So, like, he really couldn't hate his parents that much because now, like, look, they're living so close together still. Right, but is it is he trying to show that he's, like, a good family man and a good son, maybe? Oh, I see, like, maybe doing it, like, as, like, a spite, like, look how successful I'm being, maybe? Yeah, like, hey, look at me, I'm successful, I care about my parents, and if I care about my parents, I'm going to care about you. I don't know. I think no, it's more of like not... an everybody loves Raymond type. Well, maybe. Maybe I'm going Parents want him to be close and he kind of has a dependence on them. That's what it seems like. It could be. I mean, he has been living with them, you know, 
all I've, this time. I think it also goes to his sense of needing constant approval. So, like, now he could be close to his parents. So they could say, oh, look at what an amazing job you're doing. You're building a house. You're having a family. You're being successful. But I wonder... I think it's an approval thing, too. But I wonder if he was getting that from his parents. I mean, I'm sure he was. You know, I think that he would be getting it after he got married. It seems like, as conservative Catholics, they would want their son to get married and move out and be successful. Right. Versus going around and sleeping with a whole bunch of different people. I live in the American dream with the... No, they're Canadian, John. Or living I'm the Canadian sorry. dream. You're so right. I'm sorry. Yes. Of building a log cabin. No, that was mean, but... No, it's okay. No, it's you're right. It's not mean. I think log cabin. It's <laughs> a lot of, like, cutting down of wood in this story. Literally and figuratively. Um, oh, man. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> So he's going to build this house, which which is adorable to like have like your husband like build a house for you. Oh, yeah. That's I, mean, really I wish cute. I could build a house for you, but uh, it's I'm okay. not talented in that yeah. uh, regard. <laughs> Terrio is, however, not going to stay there for a long time with his wife. He's going to get a really good job opportunity in Montreal as a chimney inspector. And it seemed like everything was really working out for the newlyweds. They had made some money on the selling of the house that he had built. And now they were able to live comfortably because of the great job that he had found. The only thing that I could find that might have been negative was the fact that Terrio was very controlling and possessive of his wife. One example of this is that Francine had to wear long skirts all the time. He did not want another man seeing any part of his wife. But if she was upset by this, she never let on. And during this time, Francine is going to say that her then-husband was drinking a lot But at the time, he was a happy drunk. He would always be making a lot of jokes or pulling pranks on her. To only add to their happy news, the two found out that they were pregnant. And in January of 1969, she gave birth to Rock Terrio Jr. I love it. Yes. I love it. However, in 1971, things are going to begin to change for the happy family. During this time, Francine is pregnant with their second son who they will name Francois Terrio. During this time, Francine is pregnant with their second son, who they're going to name Francois Terrio. This is when Terrio is going to get sick. He's going to complain about an acute stomach pain. When he went to the doctor, he's going to find out that he has stomach ulcers. Now remember, these are the ulcers that he's going to blame on his father's abuse. And in the spring and fall of 1971, Terrio is going to have to go through two surgeries. Now, approaches to ulcers have changed over the years. If Terrio would have presented the same symptoms today, it's most likely he would be prescribed medication and they would be able to manage his symptoms and help with the pain subside and help the pain subside. However, it was 1971 and the doctors told Terrio that the operation was necessary. By the time the two surgeries were completed, a large portion of his stomach had been removed a surgery that we could equate to someone having a gastric bypass. He was going to develop one of the side effects that a person can develop when they have a surgery like gastric bypass or a gastric sleeve or even gallbladder removal surgery. This is called dumping syndrome. This is when food gets dumped directly from your stomach pouch into your small intestine without being digested properly. From this happening, Terrio is going to experience unbearable stomach pain and intense vomiting. Now, in order to live with this uncomfortable condition, one has to stick to a specialized diet and be careful about chewing food completely before swallowing. However, Terrio is going to have a different response to this pain. 
Instead of changing his life to help with his chronic pain, he's going to work to mask the pain with alcohol and antacids. That just seems like the worst combination you would ever use. The worst thing you could do. I'm just like picturing Alka-Seltzer bubbling in like red wine. Oh, Oh, so gross. (laughs) Sorry. I'm saying it's just like gross, the two combinations. Yeah, like it's just definitely not helping. No. So Francine is going to say that this is when there's a massive change in her husband's personality. He was becoming an angry drunk. And I, th- I think it's interesting to bring up. Now, I know he didn't get gastric bypass surgery, but there is a correlation, they say, with getting any type of like gastric surgery and alcoholism. Right. Because of the absorption of alcohol. And you can, in absorbing the alcohol so quickly... Have a whole bunch of alcohol, be super drunk, and then it absorbs and goes away. Right. You become, when people have that issue, not to say everyone that has it has an issue. No, you don't always develop it, but there's a correlation between the the two. But the ones that do, um, I mean, let's face it, when you're having these surgeries, you're messing with your organs. Right. You don't know. I mean, even though they know it's, like, safe, I guess, you just never know. You know, things can change. You know, you're changing the insides of your body and things are affected. Well, yeah, it's definitely scary to have done to you, but it changes the way that you digest food. Oh, yeah, it does. So in drinking alcohol and then now absorbing that so quickly, you you need to drink more to become drunk and more over time. So that's why there's a correlation between alcoholism and people getting gastric surgeries. I mean, you pretty much become a uh, the best stealth alcoholic ever. <laughs> yes, you definitely do. So on top of being an angry drunk, so it even says like his... His type of drunk is going to change. Like he used to be a happy drunk and now he's going to be really angry. He's also going to obsess over medical textbooks. Like the doctors did wrong and he could have done it better. Okay. So this is again him. He's smarter than everybody else. He could have done it better. It's he, We definitely are starting to see a narcissistic tendencies start to build in Terrio. So what he would do was spend hours a day poring over medical textbooks and just reading everything he could. Due to the mismanagement of the chronic pain, Terrio could not continue to work as a chimney inspector. The couple and their two young children had to move back to Terrio's hometown. This is when the bizarre lies would begin. He told those in his hometown that his insides were plastic and that he was going to die soon. These weren't just lies, but they were things that couldn't be true. Terrio was going to begin telling a lot of lies like this. And at this point, he starts writing a rambling memoir about his childhood. But we'll get into that soon. Just know that this is when the writing begins. When he's in pain and he's drinking a lot, he starts writing this memoir. It's going to come into play later on. It also seems like Terrio's personality was changing. Remember when I said he wouldn't allow his wife to show any skin in public? Well, now he basically insisted upon it. It seemed like now he was obsessed with the idea of sex, especially communal sex. He kept telling Francine that his new life goal was to start a nudist colony. Which was kind of, nudist colonies were popular at the time, but I just, I'm sure Canada is beautiful, but I don't know if it's a premier spot for a nudist colony. I mean. It's pretty cold. Yeah. So I don't know how that would really work. Maybe just a nudist in the summertime. I don't know. I'm just going to say, all I'm going to say about it is I like clothes and if I'm cold, it's just not good. It's just not good. Well, that's what I'm saying. Nobody would like a nudist colony in a cold area, (laughs) especially the guys. Oh, yeah. That's bad. (laughs) So during this time, he was able to make money by opening a wood shop on his parents' property. Again, this shows the kind of positive relationship he must have with his parents. He would cut down trees and make furniture. He would cut down trees 
and with the lumber, he would make furniture and custom beer mugs. I mean, that's kind of cool, actually. That's kind of really cool. And, like, he was, like, a hipster before the hipsters. So he was super into these beer mugs, and he would go on trips and sell them at, like, dance halls and bars. And he he was selling them. I mean, he, they was they were making a living off of these things, so he had to be selling them. He then is going to turn his attention to the world of small-town politics. After one year of living again in his hometown of Thetford Mines, he's going to earn a seat on the town council. At first, everyone was impressed by his ability to know every law and ordinance that the town had, but slowly they understood that they may have elected a mentally unstable man. He would propose the building of new playgrounds, schools, and roads, but without a plan as to how these would be achieved or paid for. When people tried to argue with him or ask him questions, he would throw temper tantrums or just walk out of the meeting. Eventually, Terrio is going to stop showing up at the council meetings and they vote him out of office. But it is clear here that he's beginning to start seeking positions of power. That's what he wants. It was clear that he was trying to seek positions of power and that while he was in this position of power, he didn't like the fact that people weren't agreeing with everything he said. Right? right. That's when he begins to act negatively. It just goes to show you his personality. And like you said before, there's all these little tidbits early on that just show the that type of man showing. that he is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's also showing how it's evolving, yes. too. At this point, the family was not in a good place. Wait, just to go back to that, my thought process, because I thought of something. His his like narcissistic personality disorder is basically there, but I think it could have been kept down because he was happy with Francine and their family and his job. But then he got the ulcers. And that was kind of his, like, tipping point. And they say that when people do have mental illnesses, chronic pain being introduced into their lives is going to, like, intensify the mental illness. Well, it's just a bunch of triggers. I right. I mean, triggers. I mean, for sure. Crack. So at this point, the family was not in a good place. They were living off of welfare as the beer mugs weren't really paying the bills. This is when the marriage of Francine and Terrio is going to fall apart. Terrio had chosen to stop taking his medication because he feared that it was affecting him sexually. Remember, that's his, like, thing. Yeah. However, he wasn't concerned about his sexual performance with Francine. He was concerned about his performance with all the other women that he was now sleeping with. Oh, man. Oh, it's happening. (laughs) It seems like he wasn't selling his beer mugs on those trips to the dance halls or the bars in surrounding towns. Francine knew about the affairs, but believed that he would change. And as he said he would, every time she confronted him with it. So she knows about the affair. She's going to say, I know what's taking place. And he's going to say, I promise I'll stop. I promise I'll stop. And she's believing him. They do have two young sons, so she wants to work it out. Right. She's thinking maybe it's the alcoholism, the chronic pain. Like, this truly isn't the man that she fell in love with. However, Terrio never stopped having affairs. The only thing that he changed was his drinking habits. He, he started drinking more. Oh, so there's no, yeah. there no positives to <laughs> no, gain out of no. this. No, because he stopped taking his pills to manage the dumping syndrome that he was suffering from, he was now just using alcohol to numb the pain. And Francine was still dedicated to making it work. She even took on a job so that he would be able to stop traveling to sell his mugs. I think she took on the job because she didn't want him to travel to meet the other women. Right. Not necessarily because she wanted him to stop working. I think she was more worried about the women. She was just trying to be very, she was trying to be clever there. (laughs) Yeah. But I will say that this is starting to move towards 
Terrio, who wanted to be in a committed relationship, his wife has to wear long skirts. They are very kind of conservative. So now he wants this like communal sex thing. These nudist colonies, um, like swingers, like he was into that kind of thing. Right. So so now he knows that his wife isn't down for it. So it's like kind of like now that they're drifting apart. It's just really quickly before we continue. I, I feel like that's that is very odd because I feel like a guy doesn't wake up in the morning where before he never right. talked about or liked those things. And now in the blink of an eye, he's he's all for Changed. it. So someone had to have shown him another side of lifestyle. Like, had to have shown him that, or he must have seen it somewhere. I think that he had, like you said, a trigger, like a mental break. Right. And I'm sure he was introduced to it in his, like, travels and, like, selling things. But I think that his chronic pain and his intense drinking is going to lead to, like, a whole different personality change. Right, but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying. He was introduced to this He had to be introduced, or, like, he must have, like... Whether someone showed it to him or he's mm-hmm. seen something that would make him think that that's something that he wanted. Because that just doesn't happen in a, in a blink, blink of an eye. Blink of an eye, yeah. It was something he must have always kind of been interested in. I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's bizarre. So, the problem was, Terrio had a passion for mugs. <laughs> <laughs> and he wanted to continue to take these trips. And, of course, meet other women. With mugs comes women. Well, he was killing two birds with one stone. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, both of his passions at once. Yes. So on February 13th, 1976, which is ironic, he meets a woman named Giselle, who he falls for immediately. And that's ironic because that's like your mistress day. Like, you take your wife out on Valentine's Day, but your mistress out on the 13th. You know what I mean? I've never, I don't know. It's from from Goodfellas. Gotcha. Yeah. You don't remember that part? You know what I don't, but I've seen that movie a hundred (laughs) times. So, or Casino. No, I think it's Goodfellas. Was it Goodfellas? Uh, One of them. All right. That night, he invited her to come back to his hotel room. But the two didn't have sex. And this was, like, different for him. Like, ooh, she's posing a challenge to him. Giselle, though, was easily entranced by Terrio's blue eyes, is what she's going to say. That's what dragged her in, was his, like, intense, crazy blue eyes. And he had really dark hair, so it kind of, like, did stand out. Right. But she didn't like the fact that he was married. He did come out and tell her that he was a married man. She said she doesn't want to have an affair with a married man. She wants to be in a relationship with somebody. But she left him her number and said, you can call me if you ever get divorced. Terrio is going to call her the next day, and he begins to work his magic like we've seen before. He's going to tell her that he's dying and that his wife didn't care that he was dying. And in fact, she was having an affair already and planning to move this guy into his house once he dies. So, of course, he's like getting the sympathy from Giselle. That's unreal. Right. And Giselle is is completely convinced of this and she begins dating him. Wow. Yeah. So he reels her in real quick and he does promise to divorce his wife, which he does do. He does keep his promise. In the summer of 1976, he's going to file for divorce with Francine. And Terrio and Giselle are going to continue their whirlwind romance away from his hometown and all of those who do not understand what a great man he truly is. That's what he said. (laughs) The two are going to live a fantastic life, living out of their van and sleeping in a tent on the side of the road. (laughs) They made little money selling what was left of Terrio's beer mugs. I just, I want one of these beer mugs, I feel like. I think it would be really cool because there's no condensation on the glass. It would be cool to have, like, a, glass. a collection of, like, weird, like, something from each episode. And, like, this would be, like, Terrio's beer mug. 
That would be cool. But when the couple did get money, he would spend the little that they did have on alcohol. And Terrio would drink until he passed out. There was even a few occasions where Giselle would have to drive him to the hospital because he passed out from drinking. But by the fall of 1976, they finally had enough money saved to rent an apartment. However, Terrio rarely slept there. He was often out doing, what do you think he was doing? Just trying to sell beer mugs. <laughs> trying to sell his beer mugs. And when he was in the apartment, which was only during the weekends, that's when he had visitation of his two sons. Okay. So he only got to see Giselle when his two sons were there for two days a week. So it was kind of like Giselle really didn't win out of this. No, not at not all. Not at all. And, and you know what? Honestly, like he's trying to uh, the supply the man with those beer mugs. So yeah, I guess so. to make sure he's selling them. <laughs> okay, back to the show. So while on the road in this new apartment, Terrio is going to find another obsession besides beer mugs and sex. Religion. But he's going to focus on his hatred of the Catholic Church, and that stems from his childhood. He would repeatedly tell Giselle that he knew the Bible better than any priest or anyone associated with the Catholic faith. He would also read the Bible over and over again. He used the verses that he memorized from the Bible to prove that he either knew more or were superior to others. He was very fond of the parts of the Bible that stated that women should be obedient to men, which is most parts of the Bible, I will say. <laughs> In visiting many churches, Terrio is going to come upon a faith that he felt was finally similar to that of his own beliefs. And this is the Seventh-day Adventist. This Protestant religion has its basis in the idea that there would be a second coming of Jesus Christ. In order to prepare for Judgment Day, the members of this faith need to leave a pure lifestyle, which includes no smoking, no drinking, and a vegetarian diet. In February of 1977, Terrio began to attend recruitment sessions for new converts. After attending as many services as he could, he requested to be baptized into the faith. Giselle converted to the religion as well after she began to see the positive changes that it was having on her partner, because the two weren't married yet. He actually had stopped drinking at this point, and his new vegetarian diet was working wonders on his digestive system. So we're seeing something affect him positively and he's sticking with it so this new faith actually was doing really well for him well that's great yeah but i mean if you were but the only thing though could you was, okay this that's it over he was probably though, <laughs> yeah right he was probably having like the worst diet possible i mean i mean because you're not you're not doing anything to help yourself i mean up until this point yeah he was probably just drinking and, and eating the cheapest foods that they could afford which exactly, probably wasn't money the best. was low so right however he couldn't stop everything that he used to do he continued to make himself the victim he would tell anyone from his local congregation in quebec about the horrible life he led although the members of the church did admit that this would get annoying they did feel bad for him they also felt bad that he and Giselle were living so poorly, so they gave him a job. Terrio was to try and sell pamphlets on the street. He quickly worked his way up. He was one of the top salesmen of pamphlets, so they allowed him to lead an anti-smoking campaign in which he would lead paying groups of people in seminars based on the principles of the Seventh-day Adventist Church to stop their smoking habits. He was able to get people to come in droves into these anti-smoking seminars. And then once they were in the seminars, he would also sell them the pamphlets. So he was like their top seller. He was doing a great job. He was bringing a lot of converts to the church, and he was also bringing a lot of money to the church. 
So he was receiving praise. And he was really happy about this. Right, because once again, that's what he needs. Mm -hmm. But eventually this isn't going to be enough for him. Yes, he was getting praise and he was in a position of power. But like always, Terrio wanted to be in control and in charge. He did not believe that it was fair that he was convincing these people to join the church. But then once they converted, they looked up to and followed the pastor, not him. He believed that they should be following him and his beliefs. The church caught on to these beliefs of his, but they ended up just keeping an eye on him because really at the end of the day, he's bringing in money and he's bringing in people. So they just wanted to watch him. Money and power. And they were right to do that because when Terrio is going to... And they were right to do that because around the summer of 1977, he's going to start collecting his own followers. Under the guise of recruitment sessions and the anti-smoking campaigns, Terrio would give many speeches or sermons on the streets, or at universities. It was while doing this that he collected his first group of followers. Of those in the audience, there was a beautiful 21-year-old girl named Solange. Solange had an abusive, alcoholic father. She was searching for a way out and was attracted to the non-drinking community of the Seventh-day Adventists. With her was Chantel, who was 19 years old. She was described as coming from a very happy and protective family that took care of her quite well. It was said that she was prone to mood swings and bouts of depression. The third female that was with them was an 18-year-old named Francine, who was described as outgoing but very insecure with her looks. With them was their 20-year-old male friend, Jacques, who was seeking acceptance as well. The four were ent- the four were entranced by the ideas and charisma of Terrio. He quickly invited them to the apartment that he shared with Giselle. If I was Giselle, I'd be so mad at this point. Oh, yeah. This is the beginning of his isolation. And of course, he doesn't want to take them to the church because he wants them to become followers of him, not the religion that he belongs to. This is where we are going to see the cult-like dynamics come into play. He wanted to keep as many of these new followers in his apartment as he could reinforce the idea of group dynamic and group think. Because it's easier to go along with a group idea than it is, like, have your individualized thought think. Okay, it kind of doesn't make sense, but it's easier to go with a group. Oh, absolutely. Terrio quickly picked up more followers. Nicole, a woman in her early 20s who was battling to get past the death of her mother. A 24-year-old man named Claude. Francine is then also going to tell her two high school friends about Terrio. The two were named Jose and Maurice, both women in their late teens. It seems like Terrio would reach out and take people in who were in transitional times of their lives. They were confused, lost, and looking to move on, or trying to find a higher purpose. His final two members that would join him after he attended the last Seventh-day Adventist retreat that he would be invited to, while staying at a resort, he managed to convince two of the women that worked there to return with him to Quebec. So isn't that crazy? For the Seventh-day Adventist, he goes on a retreat to a resort, and he manages to convince two of the women that work there to come back home with him. I mean, he has that ability. He does, 100%. He really does. Their names were Gabrielle and Yolanda. Gabrielle was an interesting choice because she was older than most of the girls that he recruited, but she was very beautiful. She also was very intelligent. She was a trained nurse. However, this did not make Gabrielle feel superior to Terrio. Rather, in learning that he was obsessed with the medical field, she tried to constantly impress him with her knowledge. And he liked that. Right, because it goes back to those books that he would read as well. 
right? And look, you have someone who did go to school in the medical field, and she's trying to impress me. Like, he liked that yeah. she was gassing him up. Yep. Most of these new followers are going to live with Giselle and Terriel. All of those who were enrolled in college are going to drop out. The group is going to work for free at Terrio's anti-smoking program. Because his success rate in the program was so high, he began charging people more money to participate. He never shared any of that money with his followers, who helped him organize and run these big events. They would even provide vegetarian meals during breaks. During one of these anti-smoking seminars, a man named Jacques was enamored by everything that Terrio was saying. He is going to eventually convince his wife, also named Maurice, to join the group and bring along with them their infant son. Maurice was reluctant to go, but she loved her husband and couldn't refuse because she wanted to stay with him. I mean, it's nice. It's not. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's nice. It's a sweet gesture, but it's not going to work out well. In for reality, her. in reality, though, so many futures just died. Oh yeah, like all 100%. those kids that dropped out of college, they, they, their futures just. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean... Well, they they thought that it was the opposite. They thought they were going to make so much of themselves from joining him. Because he was, like, this visionary leader. Well, they thought wrong. They did. Many of the members' parents were beginning to grow concerned about what was happening. The family that is most concerned and will continue to be so throughout the whole case is Chantel's family. They do not believe that their daughter could be of sound mind if she's choosing to stay with this religious group. They ask her if she would enter a psychiatric treatment center for one month. They told her that if she went through with this and she was deemed competent, that they would then leave her alone and allow her to make her own decisions. She agreed to do so and immediately entered treatment facility. This is something that made Terrio very upset because here he had to relinquish control over one of his followers. However, it is in this moment that he realized that he didn't have his members isolated enough. They could still have contact with the people they knew their whole lives, including their family members. If he wanted these people completely devoted to him, he would have to isolate them even more than he already had. This is when he chose to leave the area and open up a healthy living clinic or wellness center in St. Marie. All of the members, including Giselle, agreed to do this with him. Terrio is going to visit Chantel at the facility in which she was being evaluated. He's going to be able to convince her to check herself out and come with the group to St. Marie. She did so. Once there, Terrio was going to tell everyone that they are going to give up all of their earthly possessions so that they could afford to buy this health clinic, and that they should all wear identical robes. This way, they were all equal under the eyes of God, and they agreed to do so. Wow. It's pretty crazy, actually, if you think about it. Like, if all these people, they just sell everything that they own, and they just go. Right. With bl- I mean, not blind faith, but... Well, yeah, with blind faith, and also, like, now he's trying to make them all in unison, all the same. Like, it's, it's his group think that he's trying to focus on, and this master manipulation especially isolating people away from their family and friends. It's it's it's, it's cult 101. I mean, yeah, totally, but it's a genius way to control. I mean, right. it really is. So before we go any further into the craziness that's going to ensue with this group, I just wanted to kind of go over what Terrio was preaching to the group. He did follow the Seventh-day Adventist beliefs slightly. He did say that there was going to be a judgment day or a doomsday. He said that God was speaking to him and chose him to be the modern-day equivalent to Moses. Eventually, he was going to ask his followers to call him Moses. He stated that God had given him powers and chose him and their group to be saved from a cataclysmic event 
that would occur on Judgment Day. And if they listened to and followed his instructions faithfully, they would be the ones that were chosen to rebuild the world after this doomsday. And it's during this time that we will talk about the rambling memoir that he wrote a while back. Remember I said we would come back to it? Here it is. Here it is. (laughs) In this memoir, he is going to say that when he was a child, he would frolic in nature for hours without harm. And that one day he spent an entire day running around with a bear and her two cubs. See, this is like going into play like he is Moses. He's going to get it. Right now, totally. So he's going to claim that he was also paralyzed for two years as a child. And God is going to come to him and heal him. Now, these tactics that he's using right now, it's, it's called mystical manipulation. So what he's doing is he's showing them his mystical superiority to them. God has chosen him, healed him, is talking to him. He right, is so going to know all. Right, so he it's pretty much putting him on a higher pedestal. Religiously. And that, religiously. And that's why they're all going to kind of follow him. He also, of course, like his narcissistic personality, is, his narcissistic personality disorder and all the tendencies that are included in that are going to start coming out here. Like his delusions of grandeur and megalomania and just the fact that he is the one that's going to rebuild the earth after it ends. And him doing, I think that's his paranoia coming in too with his mental disorder. I think so too. So that's the backdrop and the belief system that went into what was rapidly becoming a cult. On top of all the religious beliefs ruling the group, there's also very complicated group dynamics that came into play. This is something that is inevitably going to happen in communal living situations. Giselle was becoming jealous. It was clear that all the women were in love with Terriel. They wanted his love, attention, and affection. In order to calm Giselle's fears, Terriel was going to agree to marry her and make her what he referred to as as the main wife. And this is something that he said he read about through King David in the Bible. And this is temporarily going to make Giselle happy, but nothing is going to seem to change, right? It's it's clear that this marriage is just for show and just to keep her there. He didn't want to go on a honeymoon with her. And when she's going to tell him that she's pregnant, he was very indifferent to the news. Like, he wasn't excited at all. When Giselle is going to express these fears to him and tell him that she's thinking about leaving... Terrio's response is going to punch her in the face as hard as he could. Oh my god. Yeah. So it was very clear to Giselle at this point that he wasn't very concerned about her feelings. Oh, not at all. As things were beginning to unravel for Terrio in his marriage, the same began to happen in the city of St. Marie. People were beginning to talk about this new cult that had entered town. They weren't paying the rent for the clinic And they weren't paying the other bills associated with the business, like their electric and things like that. On top of this, they had also heard a police investigation was taking place. It appeared that during one of the group's many trips to local hospitals, they had convinced one woman who was dying of leukemia to leave the hospital and come live with them. Terrio promised her that he would be able to heal her with a natural and homeopathic diet, which would consist mainly of grape juice. Grape juice. Yeah. If, if grape juice could heal you, I'd be the healthiest person in the world. Well, wine doesn't count. Well, it's it's grape juice. Well, sort of. In I mean, way. it is, yeah. but it's fermented anyway. <laughs> Soon after leaving the hospital, the woman passed away. Surprise. Terrio told his followers that this was meant to be. They actually didn't know this, but she had died back at the hospital, 
and he kissed her back to life to give her a few days back on earth to live in the love of their group. Then when God was ready to receive her, he gave her back to God. However, the police were a little more suspicious of the circumstances surrounding the death of this woman, but no laws were broken. The woman left the hospital on her own accord and chose to be there, even though the doctors warned her that she would die. So there was nothing that Terrio could be charged with. So the officials did tell him, though, that they were going to keep a close eye on him. After this event, Terrio and his followers are going to come under a lot of scrutiny. In the spring of 1978, a month after the police questioning him, the Seventh-day Adventist Church is going to sever all ties with Terrio and his followers. They did not condone the actions of the group. But with the abandonment of the organized religious group, the suspicions of the townspeople, the families of the group members, and the police basically on his tail, Terrio knew that if he wanted to regain control, he would have to further isolate this group from society. And that's exactly what he's going to do. On June 5th, 1978, Terrio gathered all of his followers and packed them into a bus, truck, and car that they had. They were leaving St. Marie, and after a few days of not hearing from their loved ones, the family members of the group are going to contact the police in St. Marie and ask them to kind of do a wellness check on the group. But when they went there, the only thing that they found was a bag of IDs. So now they are in complete isolation. They, they basically, in leaving their IDs behind, it's like symbolically they're leaving their identities behind. Right, they're starting new. Right. Okay. So this is where things are going to start getting dangerous. Well, actually, another point about leaving IDs as well uh-huh. is that that secures him in control. Because now nobody has an ID. I mean, there's so many things that you need an ID for. Right. Driving, you know, it's a form of identification. I mean, it's, 100%. They're it's now... your whole identity in, in society. Right. They're now completely isolated and in debt to and him, they're basically. dependent yeah they're dependent mm-hmm. on him completely now terrio no longer had to preach under the guise of the seventh day adventist church his ideas could be entirely his own he was also working to further isolate the group by taking them far into the wilderness of the gaspe peninsula when the group finally settled here in early july things began to change within the group now that Terrio was no longer associated with the Adventists, he chose to begin drinking again. And it is here, in isolation, that he is going to begin to break down the members of the cult. He is going to create strict rules. They are only allowed to speak in the presence of him. He would actually do things like say he was going for a walk, but then he would really stay back and spy on the group. And if anyone did something that he didn't like, he would mention it to them later over dinner. He told them that he was like God. He was omnipresent. He was always there. He knew everything that they were doing. And even if they thought bad things, he would know because God tells him everything. And this is him using that mystical manipulation again on them. Oh, yeah. That's that's actually scary. It's really scary. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're never, like, you, you're not even safe in your own mind. I couldn't imagine that. Neither could I. If someone read my thoughts, they'd be like, she's the weirdest person ever. Like, I'm so glad there's no one in there but me. <laughs> <laughs> At their first arrival, the group is going to be staying in tents. They are only allowed to sleep a few hours because they were in the process of building a large log cabin. 
They needed to be sure that it was completed by the time the bitter winter came. But the work was... So the group was working on overtime, but not just because winter was coming. To increase pressure, Terrio told the group that Doomsday was rapidly approaching. February of 1979, to be exact. So while building the... Guess what? It doesn't happen. Nope. No. Does it ever. (laughs) While building the cabin, the group is only surviving on boiled vegetables that they managed to grow. These are also the tactics used by cult leaders to break down their members. Uh, Sleep and food deprivation do horrific things to willpower, to the human mindset, and that's what he was using. During the building of the cabin, Terrio was going to give all of the members new names and insist that they begin to call him Moses. To be reborn into these names, the members of the group must confess their darkest secrets to him. During this process, he is going to rename outside society the world of the dead, thus creating an us versus them mentality. It is so smart how they how they work. And, oh, totally, yeah. mm-hmm. totally. He is now going to begin having sex with his female followers. He calls them his concubines. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he makes it his goal to impregnate them as much as he can. By the end of the, his time leading the cult, he's going to father 30, uh, 26 children. That's insanity. 26 children. Now, he really has 28 children with the two right. boys that he had previously. And then there's going to be some miscarriages. That he might have caused, might cause. We'll say we'll get there. So, like, in total, like, he he impregnated women 30 times in his lifetime. My God. Yeah. However, just as King David did, he wasn't going to allow these women to mother their children. This is another control thing here. Giselle, as his main wife, would be the one to raise all the children. If any of the women did not agree, in fact, if anyone began to question him at all he would beat them with belts and clubs. It seemed that he was making all of the members of the cult stick to the strict diet of the Seventh-day Adventists, but he was veering further and further from it. He would make members of the group leave once a day to go and pick up junk food and alcohol for him. That's crazy. That is crazy. I mean, so... so he's And, and they were miles away. So, like, they have to go... It would take them four miles to get to the nearest town and four miles walk back. Like... That's crazy. But isn't it crazy how, like, he has all these set rules for everyone. All they get to do is eat fucking boiled vegetables. I know. But he's allowed to have the modern conveniences uh, of the so-called the dead people. Right? Right, exactly. (laughs) That's still good enough for him. So as the children he fathered grew, so did the savageness of Terrio. It seems like a rift was growing in the community. There were two groups formed. Those who were on top and those who were on the bottom, the haves and the have-nots. Maurice, the wife of Jacques, was on that list because she refused to sleep with Terriot. Remember, she's the one who joined because her husband wanted to join? Right, yeah. So another member of this have-not group is going to be Gabrielle. And it seemed like at first he thought it would be a good idea to bring on a nurse, but over time he became more and more threatened with the knowledge that she had. He claimed to know everything about the medical profession. And Gabrielle was sitting there proving that he really didn't. So he didn't like that. Well, so he's, he, yeah, he's definitely threatened. Right. With those women on the lower level are the children that were not fathered by Terrio. Those children were treated like animals. They were slaves to Terrio and used for his amusement. 
especially when he was drinking. Maurice and Gabrielle also felt the evil hand of Cherio. And in the fall of 1978, while pregnant, a starving Maurice is going to sneak pancakes. She didn't dare ask Terrio if she could have them because she knew that he would just starve her even further for asking the question. However, he found out that she did sneak the pancakes. He then hit her so hard that he broke two of her ribs, causing a miscarriage. Oh my god, that's so crazy. Oh, it's not done. Wow, he's brutal. He then forced Jacques, her husband, to cut off one of her toes with a wire cutter to prove that despite the fact that he just caused the death of his child, Jacques was still loyal to him. And he did. He did it. That's insane. Yeah. This is actually something that Terrio um, is going to force a lot of his male followers to do, to cut off like the extremities of the women, like their fingers or their toes with wire cutters, to prove that he's still in control of the men. That it's. I don't even know. It's so twisted. That's your wife. You just killed my child, and now I'm doing this for you. But remember, he's completely brainwashed them all. They they are, and it's been it's been several years at this point. And you know what? (laughs) Not 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 no disrespect for all the guys out there listening, but and also myself. But he has this desire to continue, like to keep trying to control 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 of the men. Right. Whereas the woman, the women, he's kind of like. I don't know, it's, it doesn't seem the same no, to me. No, he is. He's completely controlling the women, and he's doing, he's controlling the women by hurting them, and they're watching each other get abused. Right, but he knows that the, that the women are onto his bullshit. No, no, no. No, you don't think so? No, 100%. These women are completely brainwashed. They're all brainwashed. Nobody's onto anything. Hmm. Maurice is a different story. I guess, she's, yeah, she's joined different. because of her husband. Okay. The women are so enamored with him. They're not only fighting for his attention, especially because now he has this two-tier system set up, but they're also fighting to not get hurt because he's hurting them more and more. And he's he's not only hurting them himself, he's using the other males in the cult to, to hurt them. Right. So when you watch someone get abused in this cult-like mentality, your thought process is no longer empathy. You don't have empathy for that person getting hurt. Your thought process is, I'm so glad that's not me. What can I do to make that never be me? So if I retract what I said, then I guess what it really comes down to is that he's trying to control the men more because that is the only threat that could really Correct. affect It's him. a physical threat that he definitely has. Right. Especially like say one day he's drunk. They could overpower him easily, so he's got to be able to stop that. So during this time, in February of 1979, so during this time of him abusing the women, February of 1979 comes and goes, but the end of the world does not happen. Terrio excuses this by, I just like, you want to laugh? I excuses this by saying that God's idea of time was different than ours. And that it would happen just on God's time. So they needed to be patient. So they all believed him. All but one. Jacques. The man that joined the cult with Chantel, not Maurice's husband. Remember, there's two Jacques. There's two Jacques and two Maurice's. So the original Jacques, the man that joined with Chantel, is going to escape that night. Because he's like, it didn't happen. I'm escaping. This guy's crazy. However, out of fear, he said nothing negative about the cult, even though he was questioned over and over again by members of the media and law enforcement once he re-entered society. 
In seeing the man that was familiar to them on the news, Chantel's parents are again going to reach out to their daughter. Remember, she didn't follow through with their agreement. If you stay in treatment for one month, then we'll let you do whatever you want with this cult. But remember, she left to go to St. Marie. Right. So they're going to kind of talk to her again and say, like, we want to do that thing again. Remember? Can we do that? Because they had believed that their daughter had enough sense to leave the cult after this doomsday date came and went. Right, because it never happened. (laughs) Right. But now that she's staying, they're concerned again. So they ask police to interfere. If anything, they want to at least just talk to their daughter. And by the end of this conversation with Chantel's parents, Terrio and the police are in agreement that both he and Chantel would enter into a psychological evaluation. And if they were given the go-ahead by the doctor, then her parents would back away. The two were brought in for an evaluation, and they both passed with flying colors. Terrio was actually able to win over the head of psychiatry at the facility. The man held a news conference. He held a news conference as he was releasing Terrio and Chantel, in which he stated that he was, meaning Terrio, a shining example of a man of God, someone who was truly trying to live among nature, a real back-to-the-land kind of guy, and that the police dragging him in was horrible. In fact, he felt so highly of Terrio's ability that he was going to release a mental patient to him, a man by the name of Guy Veer. And he believed that Terrio's treatment and diet regimen would help cure the young man of his ailments. That's how manipulative this guy was and how good he was. I mean... The head of psychiatry is going to now release a mental patient to him and put him in his care. That's so bizarre. It's insane. I mean, you're crossing the line. Like, <laughs> is that even allowed? No, like, can you even probably do that? not. I mean, not anymore. But I mean, that's why things have changed from back then I to know. now. Well, There's all far... good reasons for it. So after this shining recommendation, Terrio's two eldest sons from his relationship with Francine are going to convince their mother that they should go and live with their father in his community. So Francine allows them to go. So when Guy Veer returns to the settlement, Terrio is going to give him the job of taking care of the children. Oh, wow. Yes. What a job for a mentally unstable man. Perfect. He's never had kids in his life. Terrio wanted the woman to stop their... And it's not that. It's the fact that this man's not being treated for his mental illness. It's, it's the fact that, like... First of all, it's going to be difficult to take care of. At this point, there's 12 children to take care of. No one could do that on their own. Nobody. Nobody. Especially someone who's being untreated for a mental illness and has no connection with anyone in this community or any experience with child's care. It's it's crazy. And I I just don't even, I don't even know how they would even let this guy out. Uh, But anyway. So Terrio wanted the women to stop their connection and communication with their children. He was jealous of the attention that the mothers were giving their children. The new rule was that the only one who was allowed to comfort the children was himself and Guy, and that Guy would help him adhere to this new rule and stop anyone from coming in to deal with the children. But Terrio would not comfort the children at all. He would never try and calm down the children. He especially would never try and calm down the children that he didn't father. An example of this would be Samuel, the infant son of Jacques and Maurice. 
And when he would cry continually and not stop, maybe because he wasn't being picked up, Terrio would roll him in snow until he stopped crying. Roll him in snow? The infant. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. What's going Um, on? His parents would have to watch on silently. And if they reacted, cried out, or said anything, they would be beaten with the blunt side of an axe. It's getting worse. Uh, yeah. It's definitely getting worse. You have no idea what you're in for. In another incident, Gabrielle kept hearing the crying of her infant son. She could no longer ignore it, and she ran to comfort the child while Veer was out using the bathroom. However, she was stopped once Veer came back into, like, the nursery area. And either to punish Gabrielle or to punish the child... Terrio is going to decide that he's going to wrap the child in a blanket and put them outside in a, in a wheelbarrow for hours in the Canadian winter. And when they went to check on the baby, when they were finally allowed to check on the baby again, he had died. And something that is very interesting when we talk about like the cult dynamic here, when Gabrielle talks about this, because she is going to go and give a lot of interviews, she writes a memoir she, and I, I don't know if this is like internalized, it's for her to move on, it's it's a coping mechanism. Investigators are going to be called in for this. And they're going to deem this a crib death. Because right. the baby was brought in and obviously warmed up. Do you know what I'm saying? Ah, I see what you're saying. So it's a crib death. Everyone else is going to admit that this took place, that he put the baby outside and that's how the baby died. But when Gabrielle does her interviews... She does not admit that that is what happened. Is it because of fear? I don't, it's not fear any longer. I think it's it's a coping mechanism. Well, that's unfortunate. That's, it's so yeah. sad that watching her in the interview not be able to say that this is how her child passed away. It's very sad. But also, for law enforcement didn't deem this a uh, a murder. They deemed this crib death. So of course he didn't get in trouble. He got he literally got away with murder at this point. Not to mention that he caused an abortion by breaking Maurice's ribs. Well, that's what happens like, when you... It's just... Yeah, well, that's what happens when you are so out of... the In the middle of nowhere. And you can't so do anything. So far from anybody. You, you can't just walk in and, like, you know, do anything about it. Right. It's not like that. And that's that's what's so crazy about cults and, like... The isolation and of isolation, it all. It, it's devastating. Mm-hmm. So after this, he made a new rule. That the women that were in his favor were allowed to help in the raising of their children. But the ones who were not, could not. Of course, that leaves out Gabrielle and Maurice. And this was him further manipulating everyone and alienating the women who were making others think, maybe we don't have to listen to him. Because Gabrielle and Maurice kind of weren't as enamored with him. So now he's showing all the other women, if you're not enamored with me, this is what's going to happen to you. So they were scared. For that to ever become them. However, the task of Guy Veer watching these children would not last long. Again, poor Samuel would be the one who bore the brunt of the mistake of placing Guy Veer in charge of all of the infant children. One night, Samuel would not stop crying. Because Veer was unable to stop Samuel from crying, he grew frustrated with the child and struck him in the face. The blow rendered the child unconscious. When Terrio found out what had happened, 
he declared that he would be able to save the child and bring him out of the coma that he eventually fell into. Child went into a coma. And now Terrio says, I'm going to save him. So he, he's going to tell everyone that he knows he can bring the child out of the coma and save him if he performs a circumcision. And he has to perform the surgery himself. So in an interview that she would later give, Gabrielle would say that she begged to help in this bizarre procedure, right? Because she's a nurse. He always said that he was going to do everything and he wouldn't let Gabrielle help, help him at all. So in her interview, she's going to have a quote and she's going to say that he liked to play doctor a lot, but when he played doctor, he was Frankenstein. I like that, actually. Yeah. I mean, it's terrifying, but It's the I scariest like it. sentence I've yeah. ever heard. So he's going to do all these medical procedures, but he, has, he thinks he has all his knowledge, but he has zero. And he's going to perform all these botched surgeries. So all of these Frankenstein procedures would be done on a woodblock kitchen table in the cabin. This is the first of many. This is where he had Samuel. Terrio would perform the circumcision on the boy. However, the child passed away during the surgery due to alcohol poisoning. Terrio poured anesthesia down the throat of the child, but he poured way too much. When Maurice heard about the death of her son... She did not react in fear of being next on that table. The child is buried on the property. Isn't that so sad? They couldn't react to their son dying. Their son was killed from alcohol poisoning. Almost maybe for the best, only because he wouldn't be able to have to feel that pain. Yeah. That took place from that surgery that probably was not done well at all. Yeah, that's it. and not even that, even just being brought up and raised in that cult. Yes. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. So after a few weeks passed and Terrio was drinking heavily, he decided that someone should be held responsible for the death of Samuel. He placed Guy Veer on trial in which he was judge and jury. He decided that Veer had to pay because he took a child. The possibility of children would be taken from him. He was to be castrated. Oh. Sorry, John. It's happening again. Oh, my this God. This episode, no. too. I know. I'm really sorry. It really bothered you last time. Oh I know. Oh, my God. The thought of So, that. I'm going to get into detail. So, get ready. Oh, man. Veer was placed screaming on the kitchen table where Samuel had died. Terrio tried to placate him in telling him that this was going to stop his mental illness as well as all the headaches that he was always having. Terrio managed to remove his testicles completely in an unsanitized surgery. Oh, God. I'm really sorry about this. What do you want to have for dinner tonight? I don't know. I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> My question, though, next is, how did he not bleed out? Well, wait. It, it, this is crazy. While Terrio was switching utensils, Veer was able to run away. Once he got out of the log cabin, he kept running, blood streaming down his legs, and he was able to escape and finally make it to the closest town. He made it out. While at the hospital and talking to authorities, it was clear that Veer had been brainwashed by Terrio and that he was mentally ill. His story was hard to understand and unbelievable. However, 
the story that he told was very worrisome to authorities. And also, I want this head of psychology to get in trouble for that. Because now, that guy is completely unstable, gets put into a cult. Yes, I know he killed a child, or well, pretty much killed the child and put it into a coma. But that does not mean he gets his testicles removed. Yes. Um, so I nothing, hope something happened. No. Nothing no. happened to the head of psychiatry. John, you're so silly. They're dropping the balls. They are. <laughs> Oh my Sorry. god. They dropped the balls. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it's not a very serious situation. Sorry that we're laughing. It's That's funny. <laughs> I'm sorry. The police raided the farm of the Terrio cult. They arrested Terrio and made the announcement that if anyone wanted to leave, they could come with them. But everyone stayed. After a trial in September of 1982, Terrio was convicted, but not of murder or attempted murder, but of criminal negligence. And he was ordered to disband his cult and he was sentenced to two years in prison. Two years wow. in prison for what he did, too. Well, you have to understand, though, they did have to get him on something. I know, but to <laughs> attempted murder? Murder of a child? Like, this I took com- place. I completely understand, and I agree. And out of those two years, he only served 14 months. What, probably based on what, good behavior? I don't know why he got out. <laughs> probably. Mean, he probably did convince... Knowing him, he probably convinced everybody that he didn't even do anything. During his 14-month stay in prison, two members of the cult left. The four years of starvation, mental abuse, and torture had been enough for them. The other members of the cult moved. Remember, they were ordered to disband. However, that just meant they had to leave from where they were. And what they did was they moved all into the same apartment in a town that was closer to the prison in which Terrio was being housed. Of course. Yeah. During this time, Solange expressed that she was thinking about leaving and returning to what they called the world of the dead. In order to keep Solange there, Giselle agreed to give up her position of head wife to Solange. I don't think Giselle wanted the pressure of it all. She probably just didn't even want to be a part of the cult anymore either. Terrio promised her that she would have this position and she would be forever safe. Together they could work to build a better community. Now he's going to start preaching to everyone. He wants a change. He wants to bring it back to what it was in the beginning. And everyone's excited for him to get out of prison because they think it's going to be like this great society again. I think it's a little too late for that. Terrio was released from prison in February of 1984. Notice that everything happens in February. It's actually funny, right? Because he predicted yeah. the um, apocalypse in, in, in February. February. Actually, I'm sorry if I said ni- 84. So February of 1984. While he was in prison, the members of the cult lived in Quebec City among society. They all had jobs and were making money. However, when their charismatic leader returned to them, they gave up their comfortable city life that they had gotten used to. Terrio led them back into the wilderness of Victoria County. Now, this is in Ontario, so it's very different from where they were located. And this is an interesting move for the community. All the members of the cult spoke French. However, Terrio spoke both French and English. 
They had always resided in areas that spoke predominantly French. However, in Victoria County, English was the language that was spoken. So this is going to be another isolating factor for the group. That they're in the wilderness away from society, but even if they make their way back to society, they don't speak the same language as the people there. That's definitely on purpose. Uh, yes. <laughs> another way of to control and mm-hmm. to manipulate. In the isolation of Victoria County, the group had to rebuild just as they did on the Gaspé Peninsula. They had a little sleep and even less food. They again had to begin building a log cabin that would house them during the harsh winters. However, this new location did not yield as much food as the other one had. The starving members of the cult resorted to stealing food from the nearby town. However, after they were caught and warned to stop, Terrio knew that they needed to find another way to make money and get food. The group began selling fresh produce at a roadside stand. They were actually very successful at this endeavor and began making a lot of money. Terrio's mind moved to bigger things, and he convinced local businessmen to let him borrow baking equipment, none of which he gave back or paid for. They rented a small storefront and opened what they would call the Ant Hill Kids Baking Company. That's where the name of the cult comes from. Terrio often referred to the group as the Ant Hill because of the way they all work together so productively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although this seems like a happy time for the family, it was truly the worst that it had ever been when it comes to the cruelty of Terrio. As the children got older, Terrio demanded that they do horrific things. Terrio was at the height of his drinking, and his wrath grew more and more intense. As the children got older, he reinstated the rule that he made before. No one was able to comfort the children except for himself. He also expected the children to be on their best behavior. They were not allowed to speak until spoken to, never raise their voice or play loudly. If the children broke any of these rules, or if Terrio did not like the way they were looking at him that day, he would just punish the children. The children were beaten with belts, but the most common form of torture that he would subject them to was something he called the tree punishment. And this is both physical and psychological. He would pin the children to the tree trunk by sticking knives through their clothes and into the trunk so that they were basically stuck there and they couldn't move. He would then force their mothers to throw rocks at them. So, like, their mother would have to throw rocks at them. And if the mothers refused or didn't throw the rocks hard enough, he would threaten to do worse to the children. And the mothers knew he was not bluffing based on what they had seen in the past. So the mothers would have to do this to their children. That's insanity. It is it's such... That's... Psychological warfare is what's happening right now. Yeah, and he's winning, too. Yeah. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. The adult members of the group were not spared from these punishments either. They also received harsh punishments, one more sadistic than the next. One of the worst things that he would do was the sexual abuse of all the members. He would force the adults to participate in orgies. To make things worse, he would make the children watch. Then eventually, he would make them participate sick yeah now this is it's sexual abuse to the adult members too who are unwilling participants in what's happening now the adults are being forced to do this the children are being forced to do this 
And this is a very traumatic experience that's happening to all of these members right now. If the adults refused to perform the sex acts on the children, he would whip them and beat them until they were unconscious. And to carry out these beatings, he would use the blunt side of a hammer. Once after Jacques refused to participate in the orgy, Theriot decided that he would circumcise the man, and in the botched procedure, he accidentally cut the tip of his penis off. Oh! Sorry. Again. What the hell? I'm really sorry. And what is this guy's infatuation with with circumcision? He wants to mutilate the male organs of other men because he needs to remain superior. Right. Oh my god. While these horrors were occurring, the members of the cult continued to work at the Ann Hill Kids Bakery. This was to become the saving grace for the children. The members of the public saw the members of the cult, and they saw how gaunt and tired they looked. They saw the bruises, especially the ones on the children. There were many calls placed to local social work agencies. The social workers who visited the bakery saw exactly what the concerned citizens were talking about. They were determined to help these children. Based on the living situations the children were in, they decided that the best course of action would be to reach out to the Council on Mind Abuse that had been established within the province. After telling the Council everything that they knew, they came to the conclusion that Terrio was running a very dangerous cult. I'm glad the social workers figured it out, Yeah, but the police couldn't. The social workers watched the members closely through the bakery. They were trying to build up a record of abuse so that they would be able to take custody away from Terrio. However, what they needed was a record of the living conditions of the children. In March of 1985, a social worker tried to visit Terrio's farm. However, when she got there, he was furious because it wasn't a a meeting that was scheduled because they had gone there on scheduled visits and everything was like amazing everyone was happy they had a great big dinner but now this was an unscheduled visit and he was so angry that he's actually going to chase her off of the property i feel like the social working agency probably should have had more than just one person yeah. just for the safety of this probably should probably should have went in a group yeah so the break the social workers needed would come in june of 1985 After one night of heavy drinking, Terrio began screaming that Doomsday had arrived. He kept using the CB radio that he had to make announcements to anyone in the vicinity that the end of the world had come. Now, the members even heard him muttering about how ending everything for them would be the best course of action because they hadn't been as loyal as they promised to be. So after hearing this, Maurice had enough. She didn't want to die and she didn't want her kids to die her love for her husband was overshadowed by the love that she had for her children she knew then that she had to get out of there maurice was able to leave in the middle of the night with her two youngest children she went straight to the authorities and told them about the tree torture and the children being sexually abused After going through the proper channels, the police and social services are going to raid the properties of the commune. On the day of the raid, authorities took 13 children from the property. The police made yet another announcement to the members of the cult. They told them that they did not wish to take their children from them, rather to help the families. If any mother or father wished to come with their children, they could do so. 
but no one stepped forward. Insanity. That's the no. It's 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 what he did to them. It's the brainwashing. I know. It's, so I know. it's so sad. It's so sad because here you are. You have to know in the back of your mind that this is my way out of getting out of this really bad situation. Yeah. And here my kids being taken away, and in a way I know it's good because it's better than them staying. Right. But I have the opportunity to go with my child. Well, I think they wanted to. I think they wanted to go, but they couldn't. Right. I just in the back of their mind, their mind yeah. is probably screaming, "Step forward, step forward!" Yeah. But they physically can't do it. After months of therapy and work with the children, the horrors that they lived came out. Those that were caring for them were shocked. One social worker had to run out of the room and throw up when one of the children was uh, recounting what had happened to them. They told the social workers that their fingers were squeezed together until they broke, or they were forced to participate in the orgies. Separately, they were forced to sexually abuse each other and the animals on the farm. And the animals? The animals on the farm. Oh, my God. So despite all of this, Terrio was able to stay free. He was only called in to do a psychiatric evaluation because physical evidence was lacking. Even though 13 kids were saying the same thing. But it's all, it's it's a cor- uh, corroborated, corroborated story with uh, all these kids. Uh, there's no physical evidence. However, just like he had before, he was able to manipulate the doctor. It seemed that Terrio was going to feed into the fact that the doctor was from Quebec. He made him believe that there was a strong prejudice against him because his commune was from Quebec and they spoke French. And the doctor was going to buy this hook, line, and sinker because there was there was a little bit of social unrest going on between the French community and the English-speaking community in Canada at the time. So he is going to say that the police trying to stop his cult is just him being victimized based on a strong pre- prejudice that the police felt. Insane. And I love how that... Is what did it. Yeah. <laughs> The children were officially taken away from the Anhill kids in October of 1987. The removal of the children only made Terrio's rage grow stronger. If anyone disobeyed, he resorted to burning them with welding torches. He, of course, like he always does, focuses on burning the genitals of the members. During this time, he also pulled out members' teeth, punched women who became pregnant, resulting in another miscarriage. And by the fall of 1988, all members of the cult were in bad mental and physical health. Solange, Terrio's main wife, was complaining of stomach pains for months at this point. In one of his drunken stupors, Terrio is going to announce that he is going to solve her problem because he can't stand to hear her complaining anymore. He's going to perform another one of his surgeries. Okay, so this is going to get crazy, guys, so you got to put on your brave true crime hats here. Oh, mine's on. It's strapped on, ready to go. <laughs> I should have told you to do it before. Sorry uh, about okay. this. It's okay. It's on now. Terrio is going to lie Solange down on the kitchen table that had already seen so much butchery. Before he began his surgery, he's going to give Solange an enema. Now, let's remember that nothing he uses during any of his surgeries has ever been cleaned or sanitized. Okay. An enema of molasses, oil, and water. He is then going to slice open her stomach and begin pulling out her intestines. While he is doing this, he is going to force other members to insert a tube down her throat, which medically makes no sense. There's no need for the tube down her throat. Terry played with her intestines and looked at her organs for an hour, but then he got tired 
and chose to just stop operating. She was left cut open on the table for the entire night, slowly dying. Gabrielle later states that she went in to see if she could help her in some way, but she knew that there was nothing she could do. When Terrio woke up the next morning, he found Solange dead on the table. The death of Solange was going to unhinge Terrio. In a morbid display, he made the members of the cult attend a wedding between him and Solange right before she was buried. As the dirt was piling on top of her, he's going to tell the followers not to worry, that she was going to be reborn from him, just as Adam gave life to Eve. Through his ribs, Solange would be reborn. Later that night, he's going to order the members to dig her body back up. Through the night, he's going to operate on her body. He removed all of her organs and began to dismember her. He would have sex with various parts of her body, and these sexual acts went on for weeks. This guy just sounds like a sick fuck. Yeah. He definitely is gone at this point. Gone. In an attempt to salvage the dignity of the women, the members of the cult burned the remains of her body in the middle of the night. Now that's a huge act of defiance. Oh yeah, definitely. This is like the first time they're acting the, out. Yes. This, however, did not bother Terrio. He collected the pieces of her bones and would, and would use them to ejaculate on especially her skull. Later, he's going to make a necklace out of her ribs, which he wore at all times. Now, even though the children were placed in foster homes, the social workers did not want to give up on the women of the cult, and they continued to monitor the women at the bakery. They noticed that Solange was missing, but when they tried to report it to police, the police just didn't want to hear it at this point. They were kind of done dealing with him. I, I understand that, but turning a blind eye... It's crazy. It's a little crazy. Now. Especially with the, all the abuse that the children were, cla- were claiming. Right. You know what I'm and saying? Now and now there's missing. a missing. And now there's a missing woman. It makes no sense. I know. With the children, Maurice, and Solange gone, Terrio is going to turn all of his aggression to Gabrielle. Now, Gabrielle had always been singled out, and she was used to the punishment. At this point, she had had her genitals burnt with the blowtorch, eight teeth removed, a toe and finger removed with wire cutters, and her arm broken. Gabrielle had her arm broken because of the letter-writing practice. Even though the women lived with Terrio, he forced them to write a letter once a week, praising him and declaring their devotion. Gabrielle found this hard to do after what took place with Solange. And to punish her, he broke her arm. In late July of 1989, Gabrielle's broken arm was beginning to get infected. One night after dinner, in the kitchen, Terrio caught Gabrielle looking down at her arm. When she told him that she thinks it's infected, he told her that he'd be able to fix it for her. And before she could even respond, he grabbed her arm and held it over the table. He then stabbed the knife down deep inside her hand, so she was basically stuck to the kitchen table. She was, like, crucified to the table. Gabrielle, in an interview, recalled thinking that she was going to die that night. After 12 years of devotion and torture, Terrio was finally going to kill her. Over the next hour, Terrio, using a carpet knife, is going to slice pieces of flesh from Gabrielle's arm. When he finally gets down to the bone, he is going to sever her arm from her body with a chainsaw removing her arm just above her elbow. 
After this incident, Gabrielle is going to run away to the nearest town, Burnt River. Once she gets there, she goes directly to a woman's shelter. When there, she refuses to talk about anything that happened to her. The language barrier also plays a huge part in this. Terrio is going to send Jacques to go chase after Gabrielle. And when he found her, he's able to convince her to come home back to the farm. He said that Terrio was sorry for what he did and he would never hurt her again. Actually, because of what happened, he wanted to make her his new wife. And she agreed to return. However, when she went back, she found out immediately that this wasn't true. That very night, Terrio heated a piece of metal until it was red and then placed it against the stump of her arm. In an interview, she is going to state that this is when she knew the truth about Terriel, that he wasn't Moses, and that the God that she loved would never tell a man to do this, that he had to be the devil. She said that she felt her senses coming back to her. Like, she started to realize, like, this is bad, I need to get out of, like, her, her normal reaction to these things are coming back. Right. She knew that if she was going to run away, she couldn't just go out and do it that night. She had to wait for the right time. Nineteen days after the second attack on her arm, Gabrielle is going to get away in the middle of the night. She was going to go to the same women's shelter that she went before. She went to before in Burnt River. This time, the shelter called the police to question Gabrielle. She still is not going to tell them what Terrio had done to her. She tells them that her arm was caught underneath a car as a result of an accident, like a car accident, and that Terrio had to cut off her arm in order to save her. So they didn't believe her, but even if her story was true, it was enough information to, like, go bring him in for questioning because it was still an illegal procedure to do. Do you know what I'm saying? It's shady. So even if it was true, they could bring him in, so they acted on her fake story, even though they knew it was fake. When the police went to raid the compound, they found that everyone was gone. After Gabrielle left, several of the followers banded together and chose to leave. It was clear that as people left or died, that someone else was just next in line, and they wanted to live. For two months, the police searched for Terrio. Eventually, he was found in a hut that was camouflaged just outside of where the Colts compound lie, on October 6, 1989, three days after my birthday. I was born. (laughs) With him were three of his most loyal followers, Jacques, Chantel, and Nicole. It's going to come out later that at this time, uh, Chantel and Nicole are pregnant. This time, Terrio was charged with second-degree murder and 84 counts of brutality. His trial was held in January of 1993, and he was sentenced to life in prison. Most of his followers moved on. Some changed their identities and never wanted to speak about what happened to them during the decade-long control that Terrio had over them. Terrio's two oldest children would go on to write a memoir about their times with their father, as did Gabrielle. However, after his sentencing, Chantel and Nicole, like I said, both of whom were pregnant during his arrest, were joined by Francine, who's going to come back. She initially left, but she came back to help raise Terrio's children. So he still had three loyal followers. Wow. They never left him. That's crazy. Yeah. They moved close to the prison so they could visit him all the time. And they opened a bakery shop that was actually very successful until the community found out who they were. And once they found out that these were like 
the Ann Hill kids, everyone stopped going and they had to shut down the bakery. Wow. Right? It's crazy. <laughs> During his time in prison, Terrio was constantly attacked and or not spoken to by other prisoners because of the horrific crimes against women and children that were widely known about. Finally, on February 23rd, 2011, Terrio was stabbed to death by a fellow inmate, a man named Matthew MacDonald. MacDonald had stabbed Terrio in the neck with a shiv, walked up to the guard station, handed them the shiv, handed them the shiv, and proclaimed, that piece of shit is down on the range. Here's the knife. I've sliced him up. Now, isn't that crazy that, I mean, I find it kind of ironic that it was in February that he died. Everything was in February. Maybe he was predicting his own doomsday. Maybe there was something to it. You never know. (laughs) I am glad, though, that he was not treated well in prison and that he finally, hopefully, felt some of the pain that he might have inflicted. I know it's, like, bad to think, like, harm onto others, but he was such a horrible guy. Well, everything that he did, and it was just, it it was always, the next time around was always worse. It was total escalation. And it seemed like him and even his followers wanted to blame the alcohol on this, but alcohol is not to blame for this. This is something that was inside him, and as we saw from his childhood, slowly built and built. And then he had certain breaking points. Yeah. The alcohol certainly helped, but his chronic illness, everything, like, it just started getting worse. His ego was being fed and fed, and he was getting more and more control. Because if he could do one thing and got away with it, all the times that he got away with it and the psychiatrist said that you're good or the police really didn't do anything, it was showing him that he was allowed to do this stuff. Well, yeah, right. the fact that he didn't get caught or nothing was real. I mean, I know he went to prison, but like, it wasn't for like really the things that he did. And it, it almost like it gave him the right to feel like, you know what, I am a god. I'm untouchable. Right, he was untouchable for a very long time. And that made it even worse. That made it even worse, you know? Very interesting case. This is always a cult that kind of fascinated me, and I never really heard too much about it. So we really wanted to dive in and do some of that research here. And we really hope you enjoyed the episode, and we'd love to hear what you guys think about the Ann Hill kids and the way we covered it. And again, of course, we would love if you could reach out and give us five-star review on iTunes. It helps us so much. And if you want to donate and hear our Pamela Smart series, which I'm really excited to start on Monday, um, you can donate to us at patreon.com slash couple. All right, guys. Thanks. Bye, guys. <laughs>